right, welcome back to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Ben Standing here. Thanks uh, to you guys for checking out the podcast. Uh, happy Monday morning, day before Election Day. Everybody, you're going to go out there and vote on Tuesday. Uh, and right now you're going to listen to this podcast on this podcast. I don't know, I, I, should, I feel like I should number these things. I, I probably, it probably is in the system, I'm not sure. It's, we don't have many. We, we still have... We're still under 10 uh, uh, editions of the Standard Room Only podcast. But on this one, we're going to talk about the trade deadline, which is coming up on Tuesday. I'm recording this uh, Monday uh, Monday morning. Ron Rivera just spoke a few moments ago. I'll share what he what he told the reporters about the trade deadline. Not much. Um, as well as a few other things. But I'll share with my thoughts about what I think uh, will or won't go down at the deadline. Or Ryan Kerrigan, Dwayne Haskins, and more. You can also read uh, my trade deadline uh, reporting on The Athletic, where, of course, you can read all of my work. Uh, and from a guest perspective today, Mike Coppinger, The Athletic's boxing insider. He is the the go-to for all breaking news on boxing. He's also a big Washington football team fan. We talk often on our Slack thread. He's got... He's got thoughts about Troy Apke and just like you guys do. And so uh, I talked to Mike about from his perspective as somebody who's who's in this business, but actually is a fan of the team. Plus, we got into some fun stuff in with regards to his sport. I love discussing pound for pound. Best of the best. Gervonta Davis, the kid from Baltimore, uh, had a big fight over the weekend. Got into a bunch of that and more. And I'm going to answer your questions. Uh, I put up on Twitter where you can follow me at Ben Standig uh, about what is going on with this team. All of that and more here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. Remember, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you do your podcasting. If you're an iTunes person, they tell me that if you if, if you uh, give a nice uh, review, rating, that helps the cause. So if you guys can do that, if you think it's worthy, I definitely appreciate it. So I, as I said, I'm talking to you guys Monday late morning, and the trade deadline is Tuesday at 4 o'clock. I'd lie. I'd be lying to you if I if I tried to gin up and say, "Oh, get ready, hold on to your hold on to your hats. Things are gonna happen." Eh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. But here's here's where I'm at. And like I said, I wrote this all out in more detail on the Athletic. So you can check that out. But what I would say is this: there's three. There's four things to keep an eye on. Ryan Kerrigan, Dwayne Haskins, Ryan Anderson, and basically anybody else. But specifically about the about Washington, possibly making a trade to bring somebody in on the Ryan Kerrigan front. My reporting effectively is this, there is other, there is interest out there from other teams. Uh, I, I know it's been reported that teams have not, have just not been calling Washington. That may be as best I can tell a bit of a semantics uh, argument. In other words, teams recognize that Washington is telling, is saying to folks, Hey, Ryan Kerrigan, Ryan Kerrigan, he, he's not going anywhere. You know, he's been with us for 10 years, Pro Bowl player, all-time franchise leader in sacks. He gets the job done. And also, he sets, he helps set the tone for us in our locker room. He gives leadership and it provides a nice presence, not just for uh, for everybody, but specifically for Chase Young and Montez Sweat, two really important young players in our plans. And, you know, in terms of right now, as a, as a role player, you know, he's only averaging about 22 snaps a game. He's been getting less than that, um, you know, when, when everybody's healthy. That you know he's been effective. He's 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 getting he's getting sacks at a pretty high clip per in a, in a per snap rate perspective. And you know for a team that's still thinking about making the playoffs in terms of the NFC East, 
that's something they want to cherish. And ultimately, Washington cherishes that more than they do what may be a pick. And, you know, the fact that Everson Griffin got traded from Dallas to Detroit and all Dallas got back was a sixth-round pick. He's another player, same age as Kerrigan, you know, longtime pass rusher, uh, you know, was a successful longtime pass rusher. So if, if that's what you're looking at, let's just even say it's a fifth. They Washington apparently values that pick or the, the what Kerrigan can do for them more than that pick. Here's the other thing to consider. Now, one, there is the there there is the possible possibility that Washington could get a compensatory pick if Kerrigan signs somewhere else. But more specifically, and I think this is the overriding factor. I don't think this, I think this goes beyond Ron Rivera. My my sense is that owner Dan Snyder is not signing off on a Ryan Kerrigan trade. Could they if if a team comes to them with a third round pick, could they convince him? I, I don't know, but I don't think that's happening. And it doesn't seem to me, from what I've been told from sources, that that Dan Snyder is is signing off on on this. So take that for what it's worth. And and just to clarify, I will say those are sort of more like a, on a league sources circumstance. Um, but in talking to teams around the league, there is some interest. I'm not saying people are offering first round picks or going crazy and we have to have Ryan Kerrigan, but there's some, but, but they also recognize that Washington, it doesn't appear to have any interest in making Ryan Kerrigan available. Uh, as for the other uh, defensive end, Ryan Anderson, my sense is that Ryan Anderson is available. Uh, that's according to other teams around the league. Uh, I, I had one source uh, just this morning tell me that they heard that Ryan Ker- that, that Washington is making calls on Ryan Kerrigan. The calls don't seem to be coming back. Now, you guys will remember, well, at least those of you who follow me on The Athletic or follow me on Twitter will know this summer I made a big push that, hey, I think Washington should trade Ryan Anderson because it played out just like I predicted, that if everybody, everybody is healthy, he's going to be relegated to a, a deep bench role and not going to get a ton of snaps. And what's notable about that um, is, look, I'm not predicting that they could have had some, you know, a big bonanza of, of, of assets thrown their way if they made this move earlier in the year. Maybe it would have only been a, 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 a late day three pick, which I argued is not the worst thing in the world, considering guys like Cameron Curl and Jimmy Moreland were seventh round picks and look where they are in Washington's rotation. But, now, when you, when I tell you that Griffin is only getting a six, I just don't see what the market is for a guy like Anderson, who's considered to be a solid run defender, but doesn't offer much in the pass. Um, as a pass rusher, he's also an expiring contract. So I don't know if there's really any market out there for Ryan Anderson at this point. Washington is exploring it. Uh, that's about as best we can say about that. And like I said, it would make sense for them to move him, in my opinion, just simply based on, the, regardless of the NFC East talk, it's got to be about the focus should primarily be about moving forward and getting any type of assets for a player who probably won't be here next year. Seems like a reasonable call. Now we have the quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. Here's where things stand on that, to my understanding. Um, Washington is open to trading him. Nobody is calling. That seems to be the, the primary issue right, right, right now. I've been reporting now for several weeks about uh, some league sources, including uh, a, a team, a team executive for another team, tell me he just can't comprehend that anybody is offering anything of significance for Dwayne Haskins, and I think there's a lot of reasons to that. He is under contract for the next couple of years. You can look at that, I think, positively or negatively. Uh, you know, uh, rookie quarterbacks or, or pl- players on uh, rookie deals that can be considered to be a cheap asset. He also. Um, Especially if you think that he's somebody that could start for you. Now, could Dwayne Haskins start for anybody next year? I mean, that doesn't seem likely based on where we sit now. But look, there may be a team out there that thinks, "Hey, we can 
we can we can do better than, than Washington when it comes to developing this kid. That said, if you're other teams, what's the really what's the rush? Dwayne Haskins is not helping you this year. And even if you have some injuries at quarterback, you know, is Dwayne Haskins the guy that you need to, to jump in? I don't think so. So I think teams are, 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 are it's a combination of being patient. And I just also think they pay attention too. there are teams out there that had a lot of questions about Dwayne Haskins from a development and maturity standpoint coming out of Ohio State. And when they see what's been going on in Washington the last two years, I think those fears have you know been realized. So it's not to say Dwayne Haskins can't turn things around. And Ron Rivera has said in the past He's op- he, he has not quit on, on the young man. I believe this may have been almost the exact quote. Um, so we'll see. By the way, I wrote more about that aspect, about what happens if Haskins is still on the team by uh, after Tuesday. I think that's an interesting dynamic because what's the point of him being third string uh, if you still believe in him? At some point, he should be elevated at least to the backup, if not maybe play later in the season. But that's assuming one believes that they haven't quit on him i don't put me in that camp but you can find more about that part of the conversation over on uh the athletic and then just lastly as far as other trades go i reported as well that my my sense is washington is not going to give up anything of significance for a rental player even though they are in position as they've said repeatedly to contend for the playoffs ron rivera today was asked what he's what what makes an ideal trade for him and and he was given a couple of mentions of previous trades in Carolina, one with acquiring Greg Olson and uh, the, you know their their tight end, and he said that essentially what he one thing he liked about that deal or just deals in general is when you can get a player a, a good player who's under contract for more than one year uh, that you can do some things there you know and then hopefully you can keep them going forward and I think that's important to note here when it comes to the rental stuff you know if Washington was a different you know maybe more of a full-throated contender. You know, a rental situation is one thing. But when you're a team that is realistically still rebuilding, even if they can compete for a bad NFC East division, trading away draft picks for a guy to play the final nine games of the year, uh, this does not make a, is not make for a wise investment. So I think that's basically where, where, where the team is at right now. And that's why I don't, you know, look, anything's possible. And if there are teams out there, Rivera effectively said that most of the players being offered are guys on expiring contracts. That doesn't seem to work for where Washington is at. But, you know, if somebody else is out there that's on a multi-year deal and it's a money issue and Washington has cap space next year, well, you know, who knows? But overall, I don't anticipate any of these guys, any of these situations unfolding, meaning anybody getting traded. I guess if you could say Ryan Anderson, there's the best hope. But again, is a team giving them a conditional seventh round pick in 2022? Maybe I, I don't, I don't know. But in any event, if that does happen, if Ryan Anderson in particular gets traded, your boy will be gloating all i can say uh uh let's get to um let's get to a a few other a few other things i i put out a a a feeler on uh twitter again you can follow me at ben standing by the way i have a secondary account also you can follow me it's at break burgundy that one is just 100 percent washington football team feed it's from my old feed that I used to have when I had a different site and I've just kind of kept it around mostly just me retweeting myself or other people but you know we can chat in there a little bit as well but I put out a few on Twitter for some questions so let's get to a few of those here while we can one here from at mmbeast4 do you think Washington tries to get some wide receiver depth at the the deadline so like I said just a moment ago that I don't think wash I don't see Washington doing anything but what I will say is that I, 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 I do have the sense that this is a position that they recognize, and maybe we lump tight end in here as well, that they need more in. Obviously, Terry McLaurin is a beast, 
uh, you know, he's not maybe he's not an MM beast for, but he's a beast, and uh, you know, he he's almost everything you could want out of out of a young star player. I wrote the other day about how it's not just enough to have talented players; you have to have talented players who know how to win. And if your hardest workers are also are also coachable, you have a chance at a great team. And I cited Terry McLaurin and Chase Young as two examples of that. Uh, they do need more at receiver. That's obvious. Uh, it's possible Steven Sims comes off IR this week. He's eligible to. We, we did not ask Ron Rivera about that today. We'll probably get a sense of that uh, over the next day or so. And, but you know, realistically, you know, we don't. We still don't quite know what to make of, of Steven Sims, a guy who was a who made an impact last year as an undrafted free agent from Kansas. I'm not saying he's not an interesting player. I'm just saying, is he a legitimate number two? I, I think we're not. I don't think we're there yet. Antonio Gandy Golden. You know, his rookie year has basically been washed out so far because of injuries and, and also, you know, the getting the limited practice work because of the pandemic. You've got, um, you know, what else, I mean, what else are we talking about here? Dontrell Inman, Cam Sims, you know, these are not guys that were, that, that anybody should be sitting here right now thinking, oh, these are definite answers. So I don't think they're going to make a move at the deadline. As I said, I don't think they make a trade for a rental. However, I do think they understand that they need more. And I think that's about as positive as you can get right now. And in the standpoint of, you know, whether it's the draft or free agency, I think that's something that they recognize they need to um, address. Uh, one question, actually, I, I was asked this. I don't I don't have a specific tweet on this, so apologies for that. But I've been asked this before and, and often over the last few days is, why did Washington only offer Eric Reed a practice squad uh, slot rather than a, uh, on the 53? Uh by chance, I asked Ron Rivera that question today. Here's what the head coach had to say about why he only offered Eric Reed a practice squad slot. Hey, Ron. Um, speaking along the lines of, of bringing in free agents, this is the first time we've had a chance to talk to you since Eric Reed said that you, uh, that you guys offered him a practice squad uh, spot. What can you tell us about sort of that process and what, is that, what do you think about your safety situation heading into this week? Well, I thought it was a very good conversation with Eric. Eric, Eric and I were, were very honest with each other. Eric told me exactly what he was looking at. I told him the reason why I was going to do, you know, why I had offered him the practice squad spot, the veteran spot, was so that he'd come in, he'd get, get his legs under him because, you know, he really hadn't had an opportunity to go into camp or be part of anything. So I wanted him to build his way up into it. Um, Eric felt, you know, that he had kept himself in great shape and that he'd be ready for any action because he's a smart football player. He really is. He truly is. Um, but I also wanted to give Reeves an opportunity. You know, I'm one of those guys that if you come to training camp, you work your butt off, you do everything that you're supposed to, you deserve that opportunity before anybody else. And that's kind of what I was doing with Jeremy. Um, I think he earned that right. He earned my respect as far as having gone through camp, not complaining and doing things the right way. So I wanted to give him a chance to be part of the 53 and see where he is. I also didn't want to bring a guy in right away that you would sit there and, and have hanging over Cam Curl. I thought Cam did a nice job last week. Cam has done a great job for us in our, in our, in our big nickel package. as what we call the Buffalo position, and I wanted to see what he had to do as well. So, But Eric and I had a great conversation. You know, I, I'm always, you know, Eric is a very honest young man. I'm very honest with Eric, um, and that was what he decided, and I told him I completely respect that point of view. Um, because he, like I said, he, I have, I think he's really one of the really good individuals that that really, you know, is just a good person. So, so there you have it. I, I, I've said before. I, I think I've said here on this podcast. I'm intrigued to see what Reeves can do. I know Rivera was citing it from a primarily a respect standpoint from from Jeremy Reeves. You know, 
just working hard and keeping his mouth shut while you know uh, during camp and and through the early part of the season on the practice squad. But I'm intrigued to see what Reed can do. He also what Reeves can do. And, and Rivera also mentioned Cam Curl. You know, I think ultimately my sense is that Cameron Curl is probably a guy he mentioned. Rivera mentioned this Buffalo nickel. Uh, big nickel situation. I think that's probably what to consider him more than a potential long-term starting safety. But, you know, look, anything is possible, but that's just kind of where I'm at right now. But if they want to give him a shot to see what he can do, you know, this is, I think, still a large part of what this season's about. Experimentation, figuring out what they have. Cam Curl's obviously done some good things in the coach's opinion to warrant the playing time even before the Landon Collins injury. Uh, you know, he was the, he was playing more than some of their, some of their cornerbacks. Uh, during uh, early parts of the season. So good, 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 good for Washington, I, I think, to stay sort of with the developmental route, see what they have there rather than bring in a guy like Reed, who, you know, wasn't that good last year to begin with. And, you know, they don't quite know what he has. So give their own guys a shot. I think it sends a good message for the rest of to the rest of the team. Uh, you're listening to the Standing Room Only podcast. Ben Standing here. I guess if you're listening, you know that, but I don't know. I feel compelled to say that. Um, I got another question here from at Spider Strick on Twitter. If WFT ends up winning a few more games and ends up outside the top 10 or more directly out of the range of the top QBs, what's your guess about what they do for QB in 2021? I actually addressed this a little bit in my conversation with Mike Coppinger, so I'm not going to step on myself completely. I'll just sort of leave it there. But I, I will just say that the the longer this goes... Sorry, let me back that up. If you think they're going to win more games, I don't just mean one or two more. I mean, like, you know, or more than one or two more, where they move outside the top five or so in a year where there's a really a lot of bad teams, bad records. Um, you know, it wouldn't it doesn't seem like it would even take that much to be picking 10th, which would likely then mean no Trevor Lawrence, no Justin Fields, no Trey Lant, as, as things stand now. It'll be interesting to see the veteran free agent market. Is, is what I'll say for now. But I'll talk more about this in my conversation with uh, Mike Coppinger. Um, at Tim Ithes wants to know, what percentage chance do you think there is that WFT goes in the next year with Allen as the starter? Good question. Percentage chance is a tricky one. I, I don't believe that they think, and by they, it's I'm not specifying every single person individually. I'm just sort of saying broadly. I don't believe that they think Allen is the 2021 starter. I think that he's done enough so far through two full starts to warrant a further look. And I think the, the issue with a guy like Kyle Allen is, and we saw it, you know, people always make the, the Colt McCoy comparisons. And I think it's a fair one because if you watch Colt McCoy over a given possession game or a possession quarter game, you might look reasonable. And maybe you could even stretch that out to two games. But typically, over time, the defenses figure out what to do and things go awry and go awry quickly. And that's where a guy like Colt McCoy becomes a viable backup or a spot starter, but not somebody you can really rely on. And that was my take back when in going into last year when, when all this talk about Jay Gruden wanted to start Colt McCoy. I just could not comprehend it in a logical sense. Uh, I feel that that's kind of where we're headed with Kyle Allen. He's, he's a guy that... Just I don't think I think again he's he can do some good things. We saw him do work the last couple of, of weeks for sure. But over time, I just don't think he's got the skill set to get it done. If he can clean up his decision making, not make as many throws into coverage, things like that, I think it could be interesting. 
But for now, I just don't think that he's the guy that they're going to look at going forward. So percentage chance, I, I don't know. I'll, 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 I'll go, I'll go. 15 that that actually might be sort of high but look you don't know how things break if they if they do finish outside the top if they do finish outside the top 10 and the rookie quarterback goes sort of off the board for them and you get the free agency and let's just say Matthew Stafford stays put Cam Newton stays put and and all of a sudden there's not as many guys out there you know maybe maybe Kyle Allen looks uh, reasonable and you know I think he's also one of those guys if you have pieces around him you can get away with more so they have Terry McLaurin they have Antonio Gibson if both of those guys make strides you have jd mckissick and then let's just say for argument's sake they go ahead and free agency and spend money on a on a player the way they attempted to do with amari cooper this past year you know again i'm not saying that all of a sudden that means that kyle allen is a viable pro bowl quarterback i'm just saying he may be able to do enough with if with with the weapons around him and i think that's a key also for a guy um a guy like kyle allen um all right i appreciate the questions you can always hit me up on twitter at ben standing and um, let's just jump into this. Mike Coppinger and I, well, here's the fun thing. <laughs> um, we actually do have more questions because Mike uh, drills me at the end of our conversation with a bunch of thoughts he wanted to know. He had the opportunity to talk to uh, somebody he knows who's on the beat. So he took advantage of that, just like I took advantage of talking to him about his world of boxing. Just had a big, uh, big bout over the weekend. Uh, got, got in a little bit about the history of boxing, the heavyweight division. But we also talked plenty about the Washington football team. I wanted the outside perspective from somebody who's, like I said, in this business. He, he knows what he's looking at when it comes to sports, but he's still got that fan, that passion as a fan. So I wanted to get go through all that fun conversation here with Mike Coppinger from The Athletic on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. Uh, making his uh, Standard Room uh, – wait, what is the name of this podcast? uh standard room only David. <laughs> the podcast is so new i don't even know what i called it um he is uh he, he is such the authority figure in boxing people this is why people refer to adam schefter as the mike hoppinger of uh nfl <laughs> game uh, newsbreakers uh the athletics uh mike hoppinger <laughs> at an airport in well now you're on a layover because you were just at the big fight last night in san antonio uh before we're gonna you, you the reason you're here is one, you're a nice guy. Two, you're a Washington football team fan. So we want to get that perspective. Um, but I, I guess I, I'm, here's what I'm curious about. We're talking over Zoom. First of all, you can say hi. I hope people know you're here, I guess. Hey, uh, hey everyone. Yeah, thanks again, Ben, for having me. And yes, unfortunately, I am a fan of the Washington football team. Um, decades of misery. <laughs> so wait, so wait. Uh, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to sidetrack this whole thing because we're talking over Zoom, but you're at an airport. I have not been in an airport and I can't even comprehend going to one right now, even though like the two games I've gone to on the road this year, I, I drove to, including driving to Cleveland, which I don't think I would have done in the real world. <laughs> um, what, 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 what's the airport like? I mean, how, how are you, I mean, this isn't your first flight, I presume. How, how's it going? Yeah, this is actually this is my first flight of the pandemic. Um, you know, I traveled a good bit last year, including I went to Saudi Arabia last year. That was a 22 and a half hour flight. I was in London. I had like 10 trips to Vegas. Um, and then this year, you know, I, I had a couple in, in February, and then this is the first one since the pandemic started. And it's been a little strange. You get used to the wearing the mask on the flight. I highly recommend this Under Armour mask I'm wearing. Um, best $30 I've ever spent. So comfortable. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I need to get an advertiser from uh, some sponsorship from Under Armour for that. But, um, you know, I, I think it's weird because on the way here, 
I was going to, I flew from LA to San Antonio and there's, it's not a direct flight. And I took a red eye on Wednesday and the person next to me, um, he really, I, I think it was, he violated, he, what he did was grounds for removal in my opinion. We're on a, we're on a 1 a.m. flight and he decided in the middle of the flight, say, you know what? I'm going to throw my nightlight on and read a book. It's like, come on, dude. <laughs> That's funny. I, I, I'm uh, I, I, considering all the things people could get thrown off the flights for. I was not expecting that. Um, <laughs> I probably violated that one before. I'm, 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 I, I don't struggle to sleep on a plane, but if I can't sleep, I have to do something. I can't just sit there with the lights off. I got to do something. So I probably wouldn't be the guy turning the light on. But I, I hate when like I'm the one guy. I recognize that that's a major faux pas. And I try not to do that. Are, are you a? Uh, I thought you were also going to say maybe he leaned his seat, he reclined his seat or something. No, thank, no thankfully none of that. And uh, you know, I, I sleep great on planes. That's why I like red eye sometimes. Like I just had this, um, I have this layover right now in Denver. I slept pretty much the entire flight. The key to that is the noise canceling headphones. You know, I have the Bose cancel, noise canceling and crying babies, whatnot, all eliminated. Great technology. Um, I, well, I, it is it is on my list of things to invest in. I, w- I was actually going to plan on doing that because this would be like the, the 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 maybe like the first full year. I mean, I, I traveled last year, but like this year, I think it was going to be even more travel, and uh, I was going to have to make that investment. But I don't think that's happening this year. We'll save that money. Um, all right, I'm going to ask you some boxing questions in a bit, but I want to get to uh, some of the Washington football team because so far on this podcast, we've had some good guests. A lot of guys, a lot of people. Uh, men and women who, who, who cover the team. And uh, we just had Jason Wright on the other day. So we've had people in and around the team. But I wanted to talk to somebody who's outside the team, but who gives a crap about the team in ways that the rest of us do not. I was a fan of this team growing up, was there for the Joe Gibbs era. But, you know, you have this job, you can't be that guy anymore. <laughs> so so what, what's it been like? I mean, it's weird because on the one hand, you look at the two and five record, you're like, eh, well, I mean, that's not obviously very good. The offense has been sputtering at best overall and the defense has had a couple moments but you know has had plenty of games where they gave up 30 or more points on the other hand <laughs> this division is a joke they're they're in it to win it i guess and there is some fun stuff with chase young montez sweat terry mclaurin in particular so from your so but for you a guy who's in this stuff you 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 can see through the crap when you when i'm sure when it comes to your own sport but this is your team so how do you how are you viewing watching a football team I mean, I'll just preface it by saying I'm the typical fan that every year I get my hopes up. And this year, I really didn't. This year, I was like, you know what? We're going to be bad, and I'm okay with it. Uh, you know, we'll see what Dwayne Haskins has. I'll give him a 16-game slate to see what he has, to see if he's the franchise quarterback after a really bumpy start last year with a coach who didn't want him. And then, of course, you know, Washington can never just be bad. They have to suck you in. And we had to be keen right out of the gate with that big win over Philadelphia where the defense was just swarming. I think about like eight sacks. I was like, all right, wow, we might have a team. And, you know, bad loss to Arizona, bad loss to Cleveland. Uh, after the giant loss, I was like, ah, this team is, all right, I'm, I'm, I don't want to, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still going to watch all the games, but I'm not going to be as invested. And then, boom, of course, you have the beatdown of Dallas where we're all feeling good going into the bye. But, look, I mean, this team has a lot of really big, I wouldn't even call them question marks, just deficiencies. Uh, you look at wide receiver Terry McLaurin I think is I think he's an elite receiver I think the rest of the league would see that if he had if he was on a better team but he's, there's no number two you have a pretty poor linebacking core in my opinion and then you have obviously no quarterback so 
Haskins didn't get the 16 game slate. And now I, I think we're in this kind of purgatory where we're in a really historically bad division and Rivera wants to go for it. And what's the best case scenario here? And maybe we sneak in, win the division at, you know, six and ten or seven and nine, which seems unlikely, and then get blown out in the first rounds. And then, of course, then we're not going to have a shot at Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. So I'm a bit, I'm a bit torn right now. And so that is the, the great point because, like, I look at this very practical. I understand the rationale. You're, you know, we're, we're talking. I should say Sunday night, so the Eagles Cowboys game is about to kick off, and uh, we'll have a better sense. Um, I'm not sure when this podcast is going to go up, but by this time, either either Washington will be a little bit further behind Philadelphia or, you know, whatever. It, none of it matters, really. This is all funny money. It's like Bitcoin. I don't understand what's happening with the math, but, some, <laughs> but, but somehow somehow they're in the mix. But they're not really in the mix. They're in the mix for this bad division. They're not in the mix, as it stands now, for contending in the NFC to actually come out of come out of it. Even if they somehow made the playoffs, and yes, it's happened where your team gets a, comes in with a bad record, wins a game. I, I'm not discounting that. But practically speaking, it doesn't seem like it's necessarily benefits for the long term. It could. We, I'll deal that later. But, but on the other hand, as a fan, who wants to lose? I get that. Trust me. I mean, nobody wants to go down the toilet and, and just, and especially for this place where it's been just one tough year after another. But it is, it is tough. So that's why I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the idea as a fan of having to, to sort of cope with, with it. What, what do you think it would take? The schedule is pretty nice over the next few weeks. Like, what do you think it's going to take for you to feel to go fully in in on like going for the division and just conceding? No, 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 Trevor Lawrence, no Justin Fields, and so on. Yeah, I think I'm already there, right? Because teams Rivera is, is hell bent on trying to compete, and I actually like that from a rebuilding standpoint because these guys need to feel like they're playing an important game. That's going to grow their character. And you know, obviously, we're you have a lot of young guys here that don't know what winning feels like. Um, you have some nice pieces, actually. I mean, Kendall Fuller has been, been amazing. He's been even better than expected, which is rare, right? Washington spends big on free agent and they exceed expectations. I know it's only been a few games, but even aside from the four picks, he's been, a, to me, a shutdown corner and you would know better. Um, well, I know that they have an easy stretch now, right? You have Bengals, Lions, I believe, Cowboys, Giants again. I, I guess if they can win three of those four games, we're feeling pretty good, right, about at least winning the division. But, um, you know, Ben, when I think about it, you know what the season reminds me of is that 2001 season with Marty Schottenheimer. You had yeah. a new coach come in who hard-nosed guy like Rivera trying to set a tone for the new culture. They started 0-5 that year um, with Tony Banks and then with Tony Banks as quarterback. And then similar to Kyle Allen, right? Banks was playing some decent football. He was making plays when he had to a little bit. The defense was a little stingy. They, they, they won 8-3 and three down the stretch, didn't make the playoffs, and then he was fired after the year. Um, and even with the controversy here with uh, Haskins and everything, it, it just feels like a different culture, right? Like Rivera kind of, it kind of went, flew over. It, it didn't, it wasn't like lingering. I'm not covering a team like you, but it didn't seem like it's been like a lingering problem after, after Haskins was benched. And that's a, that's a breath of fresh air right there. And by the way, to, to take that comparison to another step, Marty Schottenheimer got rid of the quarterback that Dan Snyder wanted in Jeff George similar to how Ron Rivera yeah. benched Dwayne Haskins uh, for, for somebody he thinks is just better, more efficient or better, better suited for what he's trying to do. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm, um, I'm so in the weeds on this. It's hard for me to get up to, it's hard for me to really like wrap my head around sometimes like how I, how I would think it was happening if I was on the outside. 
I've always thought, I mean, like, <laughs> I've always thought my, my sports instincts are pretty good, but that's based on like watching stuff. It's different when you're further on, on the inside. Um, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, I mean, Rivera on the surface, he's doing a lot of things that I think you can, you could say is helping to reshape how things are done here. And I, I wrote up the other day how, um, you know, it isn't just enough, but it's not just about what he's saying. Every time we talk to the players, they are really uh, positive about, about Rivera. They really go out of their way to say how much they respect him, how much he's telling them, what, what he's telling them makes sense. Um, he's clear with his, with his message. And that obviously is at bodes well compared to, uh, compared to things we've heard around here for the, for the last uh, um, umpteen years. Just out of curiosity, what, what was your like, when you when you think back at all the things that have happened in the last twenty years, like what for you is the the the, the low point or the epitome of just how things have gone <laughs> that we're sort of comparing that we're sort of comparing to where maybe things are headed? I was unfortunately at the uh, Jim Zorn swinging gate game, and I oh. think for me that that might be the low point somehow, where it just epitomized everything. I was like, wait, what is this wacky play? It just was clear at that moment that Jim Zorn had no business being a head coach, even an offensive coordinator, uh, and. Those Zorn years are painful. Um, I, I think he, back to also. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna, and he they, they called a right. They called a penalty the first time they tried the swing and gay play. They do it <laughs> over, and then he did it again. And you're like, wait, it was a crazy play that the other team just saw you do. What are you doing? Yeah, it was just. I mean, I, I also think back to uh, Steve Spurrier the Osaka game when <laughs> when you know we Washington blew out the Niners, and then everyone was getting all pumped up about you know fun and gun and. Of course, we were the, the, the skins were absolutely horrible that year, um, and got all excited over a preseason game. That, that's a lot, right? Washington is always like winning the off season, so it didn't. This time, it didn't feel like we won the off season. We we, we did get uh, Kendall Fuller, which was great. You know, coming back here, we missed out on Amari Cooper, but uh, when I when I think back, I, I say that swinging gay play, and I also want to say the other one would be when Donovan McNabb was benched because he didn't have cardio. Uh, late in games, and, and then I think Rex Grossman was running the two-minute drills, and that was just one of the wackiest things of all time. <laughs> yeah, there, 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 there is a long. I could probably <laughs> ask every guest who's a, who's into the, who, who knows the history of this team that question and get a different answer uh, every, uh, um, every every time for for, for sure. Yeah, um, I have an idea for you. Yeah, uh, my idea for you is so I'm a Mets fan too, unfortunately, and. Obviously, the Mets have you know legendary zany stories, but there's a bracket you could find, it's like a March Madness bracket of Mets bat, of zany Mets stories. I think you should make one of Washington. You know, for the Mets, you have like the Mike Piazza "I'm Not Gay" press conference. <laughs> you have the David Cohn, uh, I'll call it the incident in the bullpen. <laughs> I think you could do a pretty good one with Washington, where even number 64 is like, wait, that actually happened. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm I'm, write, I'm writing it on the uh, on the ideas list. I, I'll take. I'll, I'll take it. Uh, for, I'll take it for sure. Um, all right, we're we're, we're here with uh, uh, my colleague with the Athletic, Mike Coppinger, our boxing insider. Um, so you just were at a match, la or fight last night uh, in San Antonio. Gervonta Davis had the big knockout that went viral. Everybody saw it. Uh, huge blow. But uh, one thing that's obviously weird for all of us is and the lack of fans, you know, relatively to normal. At the Washington home games, at most they've had 250 people in the stands. The next game coming up, they're going to go over 3,000 for the first. Have about 3,000. Still an insanely low number, but it'll probably feel like probably feel like like a pretty crowded house. I was at a, the, the game in Cleveland this year. They had about 6,500 people. 
Um, it's not as weird. It, it's weird still. There's no argument about it. It's, it's, it feels less weird though watching it on TV. So I guess I'm wondering, is it, is it the same for you? Does it feel less weird on TV? But how is it being in the at a boxing match when you're, uh, you, you know, because that's obviously a very intense crowd situation normally. You know, I've only covered two fights since the pandemic started. I covered the Vasily Lomachenko Teofimo Lopez fight a couple of weeks ago in Vegas, and there were no fans there. Um, and then I covered the Javante Davis last Santa Cruz fight last night. There was actually 9,024 fans at the Alamo Dome spread out because the, the Alamo Dome holds about 70,000 fans. So it was it was nice to have the atmosphere back. And maybe I'm a bit biased. You know, boxing is my, my favorite sport along with football since I was, you know, a teenager. But there's nothing that for me that matches the big fight feel, that, that electric atmosphere. And it's been sorely lacking without fans. I, I think it's actually worse in person than it is on TV uh, when it comes to that, that missing feel, that feeling you're missing. But it was really great. To, it was honestly like a semblance of normalcy last night, being at that fight, having, you know, having the, the roar of the crowd when, when Javante separated Leo from his senses and just really get the fans back into the mix. It seemed like it was all done pretty safely. People were in pods, so they had to buy tickets of either six or eight to go to the fight, which I thought was um, the hard sell. But we're going to have not many promoters are doing it right now, but PBC, which promoted last night's fight, they're also going to do one at, at, at uh, AT&T Stadium, home of the Dallas Cowboys, on December 5th with our Errol Spence Jr. against Danny Garcia. And they're expecting around 23000 at that one. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you know, obviously every st every state jurisdiction has their own set of rules. Like I've I've been contemplating if I want to travel for the Thanksgiving game uh, at Jerry World, and I haven't been on a plane. And it's a pandemic, uh, and it's going Thanksgiving week to a to a to a state that is, is the, the, the 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 virus rates are rising, and they're clearly not worried about having people in a in a, in a building. So I'm a little, I'm a little skeptical. About, about all that, but that said, um, you just did that and you, you look good, so maybe I should buck up and, 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 and get over myself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is sexist, yeah. It's, you know, it, it depends on what the actual protocol is for the people covering the events. I don't know how it is in football, but you know, with a lot of times you football reporters just come in like the, the night before the, the uh, game, right? right. Uh, us boxing reporters, it's always like fight week. We get there on like a Wednesday or a Thursday, we cover the press conference, we cover the weigh-in. Then you have the fight on Saturday. So for this one, you're all staying at the Marriott and at the, on, right by the Riverwalk in San Antonio. And it was incredibly strict. You had to, so I got, I, I got to San Antonio on Thursday morning. I had to test, I had the nose swab uh, for the COVID test by 9.30 a.m. And then I had to, I was locked in my room until uh, I got a text at 4.30 in the morning saying my, my test was negative. Obviously I was sleepy when I got the text, but I felt like jail almost for the first day. They had uh, they had someone knock on my door uh, three times a day, bringing me meals, which was pretty cool, I guess. But I felt like the guards coming. They had like a bag of food for me. <laughs> and I'd be like, thank you, go get the bag. So um, everything was done very safely, which was which was nice. And obviously, you know, they have us around the fighters and these fighters are making millions of dollars. The event's making millions. They don't want that getting messed up. Yeah, 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 for, for, for sure. And, and I, you know, I think the, obviously the NFL is the same way, you know, knock on wood at this time we're talking, Washington hasn't had any issues. So they've been doing everything as best I can tell at a pretty, at a pretty reasonable uh, at, at pace. But yeah, but in terms of the fans, I, I'm with you though. Like the one game I was at in Cleveland where there was like said about 6,500 people, 
it was the third week three. It was the first time I had been around like any kind of people since like all this had happened, and it felt pretty normal, um, or not not normal, but it felt something akin to normal. And that wasn't a bad that wasn't a bad situation to be in. But when Washington is at home and there's basically nobody there, it is it feels like you're watching zombie football on some level. Um, but I, f- I feel like when I'm watching games, it doesn't seem as bad. I guess it sounds like you uh, you've kind of had the same experience to to to, to this point. And so what um, uh, I want to ask you some boxing stuff. So so tell me last night. I mean, the Davis is from Baltimore, so we'll, we'll claim him sort of, not really, but. Sort of, sort of from a general DMV perspective, uh, what, what, uh, what what was your take on him? Uh, I mean, Javante was awesome. He fought, it was a really mature performance from him. You know, he's a guy known as a power puncher, and certainly for good reason. He ended the fight with that that knockout, which you, you said was viral. And, it, you know, it's had millions and millions of views already across all platforms. I think it was like already at, you know, around four or five million on Twitter alone. But this is a guy who can box too. Nice southpaw jab. Um, Good attack to the body, great combination punching. 25 years old. Yeah, he, he's an attraction. I mean, this guy is from Baltimore, like you said, but he lives in Atlanta now. Last year, he drew close to 10,000 or over 10,000 in three fights, which is, you know, kind of rare in boxing. Uh, he did so in Baltimore, and then in Atlanta, and then also in LA. And now he did it in San Antonio. So this guy's a draw. It also helps, of course, that he has Floyd Mayweather promoting him. That's his mentor. Mayweather was at the fight last night. Um, in his get-up, and knockouts sell, right? Knockouts are what help, help bring Mike Tyson to the point where people are still fascinated and want to see a 50-year-old Mike Tyson in an exhibition against Roy Jones in a few weeks to the point people think it's a real fight, and I'm here to tell you it is not. But <laughs> Javante Davis, that, that, not, that knockout got people talking. LeBron was tweeting about it, Conor McGregor, Magic Johnson. It's, it's a good sign for the sport. Obviously, in my opinion, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I am over the years, like at least relative to the 20th century, there's not as many like great athletes that go into boxing by sure volume compared to 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe even in the 90s. So it just means that there's fewer guys there to, to pick from to who could eventually become the next Sugar Ray Leonard, Mike Tyson, and, 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 and so on. And so like when I look at certain divisions, particularly in the heavyweight division, I don't know if I'm watching. Like I watched the Fury Wilder fight. Can't say I've watched a ton of their fights, but I watched that one. And I'm watching it going, are these guys as good as, you know, Mike Tyson's probably slightly overrated if we're talking all-time greats, but is, are they even close to being as good as the the, the guys who roomed in the 70s, your Ali's, uh, your Frazier's, I mean, let alone a Larry Holmes, even a Lennox Lewis? I, I feel like the answer is no, but tell me, tell me, like, it doesn't have to be just the heavyweights, but, like, how do you compare what we're seeing now from boxing relative to in the all-time greats back, you know, in the 20th century? Yeah, I mean, if you definitely ask anyone who works in the boxing industry, they would tell you that the talent pool right now is is definitely weaker compared to past generations, especially in the heavyweight division, as you pointed out, because you have look, if, if you were fighting, you know, if you were an athlete in the 70s, 80s, earlier, you you know, being the heavyweight champion was the biggest prize in sports. Now you're like, all right, well, I'm gonna go to football or basketball and get a scholarship to college and make you know a lot of money doing that. Granted, you can make a ton of money in boxing, and people do. And Tyson Fury made $30 million for that fight with Deontay Wilder. Um, the, the guys last night made a couple of million too. But I think also you have more awareness of head injuries. Boxing's always really been a, a sport for, you know, the desperate person, right, so to speak, the, the guy from the inner city, um, someone, people from poor families, 
these kids, these are the kids trying to trying to get out of somewhere that they go to, that gravitate to boxing by and large. So yes, I, I think the, the the talent pool is definitely uh, decreased and it, and it continues to trend downward. Um, but all, but that said, I I feel like it is. I feel like there is an uptick in it now. I I, tell, I feel like part of it is because these fights are like on ESPN or like not just on pay per view, right? Like, isn't that? I mean, I feel like it's. I see it now more than it. It's not just on my Twitter at midnight on a Saturday. I feel like it's more. It, I feel like almost on some weird level, the pandemic has sort of helped boxing on some level because it's given people something to watch, which has not been always the case, and it feels like it's it's been more accessible. Am I am I right on that? I mean, yeah. I mean, people love fights. It's just, it's like you said that, right? You said that you've, you've fallen out of it. I, I know a million people that were once big time boxing fans who really knew this stuff and they just, you know, fall, fall out of it. I think it's expensive to be a boxing fan, right? You have to, the pay-per-views are, are a big problem. You're asked to spend $70, you know, a few times a year just to watch the biggest events. You're shrinking the audience. You're making it hard on people. You have the, the problem of the weight classes. There's too many weight classes. There's too many champions in each division. It's confusing the people. But I think boxing has shown when, when the best fight the best and, and it's pushed properly, like you said, we have ESPN behind it now. We have fights on Fox, free Fox with, with actual, you know, budgets. I mean, ESPN's paying out $90 million a year for boxing. It's a, it makes a big difference. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I feel like I've connected to it more lately. And that's why I'm, I'm trying to get in, get back into it. Although I miss that HBO does not have it as much. Jim Lampley, come on, we're, we're, we need Jim Lampley back in the sport. Um, I, let, let, let me ask you a couple of like random questions, a mix of a, a handful of things. I asked, I asked some version of this to different people. Now, normally I ask people, you can answer this if you want, but like, who is the person you wish followed you on Twitter that doesn't? You can answer that, but I'm curious as a boxing guy, who's the coolest person that follows you on Twitter? Because I'm thinking in the boxing world, there's got to be some uh, pretty kick-ass people that, uh, that, that know who you are. Person I wish followed me, I'd go with Mike Tyson, favorite athlete of all time. So it's an easy oh, one. That answers that um, answers the next question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next question, uh, probably Tyson Fury. That might be the, the best one of someone who follows me. Unless I'm, you know, it's a, there's a few random WW, uh, WWF wrestlers, former ones that follow me, like Rob Van Dam, uh, X Pac, <laughs> which I thought I, I was a big wrestling fan growing up. So that's a thrill. I guess they're boxing fans. I don't know, but. Um, yeah, I guess I guess I have to go with X Pac, Rob Van Dam, and uh, Tyson Fury. Well, T Tyson Fury, you know, one thing that's always interesting about boxing is the characters. I mean, he seems like a, an absolute, an absolute character for sure. What, uh, wh wh what do you think? What do you think goes with him now? I mean, he's the. I, I know there's different belts, but I assume every, we're all considering him the number one guy right now. What, what do you think is the next step for him? Fury was supposed to fight Deontay Wilder again on December nineteenth, but. You know the, the college football season unexpectedly pushed through, and then and then you had all these conference championship bowl games on the 19th. So ESPN and Fox, which were set to collaborate on the pay per view for a second time, punted that date. And Fury said he was no longer he wasn't interested in fighting uh, in 2021. He wants to, he's going to fight on December 5th in a tune up, and then thankfully he's going to head. It looks like he's going to head straight into the two fights with Anthony Joshua, which those will be massive events that are going to cross over and. I think, I think everyone's going to watch those fights, even if you're not a boxing fan. All right. Uh, all right, so here's, here's another question for you. Uh, not, not that that wasn't the one, but uh, so you, you just told me Mike Tyson is your favorite athlete. Who's your favorite Washington football team at, uh, player ever? Oh, man. I probably have to go with Fred Smoot. 
Fred Smooth, <laughs> the mouth of the back, South. The mouth of the South, back from the, uh, you know, the Smooth Smack days at Ole Miss. And, uh, you know, I, I have I have some really bad Washington uh, Washington jerseys. I, I'm ashamed. So I have a Rod Gardner jersey somewhere, Patrick Ramsey, Jason Campbell. I was a big Campbell guy. Oh, um I have a Deion Sanders. I was a big Deion. I mean, Deion's probably my favorite NFL player of all time. I, I wouldn't really consider him a Washington player. He only had the one year in 2000. But no, um, I would say Fred Smoot won, Quinn Portis too. Wow, you, you, that, that is about as bad of a jersey selection as possible. I, I always tell people, if you're going to buy a jersey, just go classic at this point because it's nothing but good. Although right now, I give permission between Chase Young and Terry McLaurin, and if you want to go Montez Sweat, I feel like you've got a window here. There's a couple few guys. Worst case scenario, they only play at the rookie contract, and something happens, you still have a few years. But I feel I feel like you got some you got some shots there. Um, all right, let me go let me go back to boxing. My favorite question ever. I don't care what the sport is. I don't care what the topic is. It's always the the pound for pound best at whatever the thing is. Who's the pound for pound best boxer right now? Easily Canelo Alvarez. He's uh, he's the biggest star in the sport, and it's great that he doubles as the best fighter in the sport. I mean, he's he's dominated in multiple weight classes. He has the win over he has the win over Triple G in the rematch. He can fight in a variety of styles. He's a great guy outside the ring too, which helps. Um, I mean, that doesn't help the status of pound for pound, but it's just nice to have that. So, Canelo Alvarez for sure. All right, we're talking before the trade deadline, but I don't, I'm not expecting this guy to get moved. So presumably he'll still be on the team after this. Do you need to see, as a uh, Washington football team super fan, do you need to see Dwayne Haskins back on the field again this year? I, I just don't think it's realistic, right? I, I don't see any path to that. I mean, Alex Smith has, uh, you know, he's coming off one of the worst injuries of all time, and they put him as the backup over Dwayne Haskins. Now, you're the guy covering the team, but to me that was a pretty damning indictment of, of Rivera and Turner's belief in Haskins as a quarterback. Um, I thought Haskins, you know, he definitely has talent. He has a great arm, but it just seems like he's going to need a fresh start, similar to Josh Rosen with Arizona. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I, I think I'm down with with that with that assessment. Um, last boxing question, I think. It, we're, 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 it's November first, so let's look ahead. This is uh, I, I'll put you on the spot. Who is the box? I, I don't know who's going to be the boxer of the year in 2020. I don't know what, maybe it's obvious. I don't know. Who's the boxer of the year in 2021? You already know some of the fights that are going to happen. What's your, like, like looking ahead, like who's the guy that's going to be the the, the, the name of the sport next year? Uh, like, are, we, are we asking breakout star or who you think is going to be actually yeah, the like, fighter of the year? Yeah, well, fighter of the year. I mean, we don't, we don't really have the schedule yet, um, but if Fury and Joshua do indeed fight two times and one of those guys happens to win twice, you think that they'd be probably the, the odds on favor to, to win that award. This year is going to be difficult because not many, there weren't many fights. We had such a, an abbreviated year. Uh, Tyson Fury is certainly in the mix for this year too, considering he, uh, he beat Deontay Wilder in such convincing fashion back in February. But, you know, maybe throw Javante Davis in there too. I don't know. Next year, uh, I, you know, if we can get the Javante Davis, Ryan Garcia fight, that would be a super fight, but uh, yeah, um, I'll go with Fury, Joshua. One of those guys can win two fights. By the way, I was surprised that you didn't pick, since you're a football, uh, Washington football team fan and a boxing fan, that maybe you didn't think Michael Westbrook as your favorite player. <laughs> the Westbrook, Stephen Davis incident, who could forget? Uh, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot. Um, well, Mike, man, I really, I really appreciate the time, man. I know we've, 
we, we we've uh, we, we've talked. I always appreciate you, uh, you you talking the football team with me because it's fun to talk about it with people who are not like around the team all the time, so they get a different perspective. Uh, I definitely appreciate it. Anything you you need to uh, uh, anything to promote from your end is that's coming up on the athletic. Um, just you know, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike Coppinger. Obviously, you can read my stuff over at the Athletic. And uh, Ben, before we go, I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure. What record? What record is Washington going to finish with? And are they going to win the NFC East? Um, I, I started the year five and eleven. I think I was on the lower end relative to some of my colleagues, and I think I'm okay with where I'm at with that. I, I guess I would say this. I, I, I thought about this the other day. The next four games, right? You got home against the Giants, at the Lions the Bengals, and then the Cowboys. I mean, the Bengals today pulled off a, a big win, so I'm not discounting that, but, like, those are four winnable games. If they go three and one, I think they can get the six wins overall. But if they go two and two, I don't know if I've seen it pass, get get more than five, because after that, the schedule is brutal uh, the rest of the way. So I'm, I'm staying with five and 11. Um, I think things are better with Kyle Allen at, at quarterback, but at the same point, you know, they have played two bad teams last two weeks, and I'm not going to get myself worked up just yet. And also, um, in your opinion, if you had to bet right now in Vegas, who is going to be the starting quarterback week one in 2021? Uh, if my options are Kyle Allen, Dwayne Haskins, Alex Smith, or somebody not on the team, I'll go with somebody not on the team. Uh, let me not discount Steven Montez, I guess, since he's on the roster. Uh, <laughs> Um, so my my theory is this: if the defense can look like a top ten defense the rest of the season, and Chase Young is getting a lot of attention, I'm my my thought for the next quarterback is not a rookie, but maybe there's a veteran out there. I will see what the field looks like. I don't know if Matthew Stafford will be out there. We don't know what Cam Newton will look like or who else. But like some veteran might look at Washington and think, you know what? That defense isn't bad. You got Terry McLaurin. You got Antonio Gibson. If Washington tells me. They're going to go out and get uh, another receiver, maybe a tight end. I think the team recognizes that they need to do that. Maybe the veteran quarterback comes in, and now we go from being this team at the bottom, possibly having to groom a rookie, to, wait, maybe Washington can actually contend by next year. Hey, what about Jameis Winston? I think he's going to be a free agent. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> I, I guess we'll have to see how the reports are that he did with, with uh, in New Orleans in terms of, uh, you know, whatever it was that teams, you know, nobody wanted him this year. So, uh, you know, he's obviously talented, but obviously the turnovers are pretty bad. So, uh, sure, I mean, I, I'm, I'm starting to think that the veteran quarterback becomes more interesting if, again, like the defense looks really good and they just push themselves out of getting one of those top uh, draft quarterbacks. Yeah, and, and, you know, when you look at this team, you, you mentioned guys like Terry McLaurin, Chase Young, Montez Sweat. Who else are the other guys who you think are the core pieces that, all right, these are, these are blue chippers this team can rely on and build around going forward? Um. So I had a conversation with somebody the other day and we, you, you use the term blue chip. I think we all have. I wrote an article this year with, with uh, Mark Bullock where we kind of did the color coded depth chart to see where they had people at different spots. And uh, like a blue chip perspective, like that, maybe we could probably put Deron Payne in there. I mean, he's had a really good year already. I mean, I thought I go into the arc, I was kind of thinking he had a shot at the Pro Bowl and, um, you know, it, it seems like we're heading in that direction. But I, I think there's like on some level, there's a combination of like blue chip is like a hot, the highest. But there's maybe another category. I don't know what the color is, but it just needs to be winning players. And it feels like they have more of those guys. And that was something I wrote about the other day that, like, it isn't just having talented guys. You need to have guys who actually seem to understand what it takes to win and what it means to be a good teammate and, like, all that stuff. 
Chase Young and Terry McLaurin are like that. I think Jonathan Allen is like that. I mean, I feel like Antonio Gibson is like that. I mean, we'll see for sure. But I, in talking to people at Memphis, I mean, they, they had nothing but praise for him, not just as a playmaker, but also as like a, a guy, as somebody who was, you know, around the team and a worker. Um, and I think those are, I think that's really, that's really important. I mean, I think Cole Holcomb has some of that, again, not a blue chip guy, but in terms of like doing things the right way, uh, I think Kendall Fuller has that. I'm not just trying to name the guys on the team who are good, but it is, it is like that. We, you know, you couldn't have always said that the last few years. I mean, the last thing I'm dying to know from you, yeah. it's been, I believe since, I believe 96 is the year. I could be wrong, but Matt Turk is the last uh, Washington football player to, to make the, pro, the all pro team. Uh, it's just, it's one of the craziest stats to me in all of sports. Um, when is it going to be? When is that going to be broken? And who is it going to be? You have to put your money on it. <laughs> um, I guess. I mean, I think the. I think I'll say next year, Chase Young. I, I, I mean, I, I. Considering the hype he gets, if he were to have like you know the rest of the way get like a sack, average like a sack a game type thing, you know maybe that would happen. But I, you know, realistically, I don't know if that happens. But with the hype with him, feels very real. I mean, he's he look he's so frenetic out there. He plays with so much energy. He works hard. Uh, so I'll go. I'll go Chase Young. How, how do we think about that? I mean, I'd love to say McLaurin, but I, there's just so many receivers, uh, and until they get a better quarterback, it's hard to see that his numbers are, are going to be good enough to, to to warrant that. But so I'll, I'll go Chase Young. Yeah, they need to get him some help too. It's obvious just from as a fan watching the game that he's getting doubled a lot. I mean, I think the good thing is my sense is that they recognize that like they need more help there. I mean, I don't think that's like a total uh, shock. And look, the good thing is between McLaurin, Gibson, McKissick, if they do add, I'm just making this up, some free agent receiver next year, that's where they sort of spend their money. Uh, they maybe, you know, maybe, you know, that, that could, that's a pretty good group all of a sudden. I mean, if Steven Sims, what we saw at the end of last year, it becomes like consistent. He's been hurt obviously right now, you know, who knows? So yeah, I think it's, I think their playmakers are, better poised than I think maybe most of us probably assumed, uh, you know, three months ago. Yeah. I mean, uh, hopefully they can get that short up. I mean, it's amazing to me that I think going back to Sean Taylor, they have not been able to address that safety. It's been going on for almost 20 years now. They had a little Ron Landry and Sean Taylor. I was feeling real good. And then, um, I mean, I think I said this to you before the season started, that Troy Apke reminded me of the David Terrell experiment. <laughs> but, and uh, it was just amazing that that guy was the starter. Uh. It's still a big mystery that he, day one of training camp, he was out there with the ones over Sean Davis, and it was like, yeah, that's it. I'm like, wait, what? Or that's it? Sean Davis is done? Like, we're not, he's not getting any uh, look? Okay. Um, yeah, and obviously, Apke, uh, you know, it is what it is. We'll see what happens with him. Um, Mike, I do, I really appreciate it, man, especially because you're at the airport. You got to listen to these people yelling, yelling at you all. You wait. You're, Sorry, you don't hear anything. You have the noise-canceling headphones. Yeah, that's right. You're good. You're good. Um, well, awesome, man. I definitely appreciate it. Anytime you want to, you know, if, if there's ever a game you want to vent or praise anybody, you just hit me on Slack, and then we'll make it We'll make it happen. All right. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. Yeah, Go, go Washington. <laughs> All right. That was great. Many thanks to Mike Coppinger. He is at Mike Coppinger on Twitter. I, I made the joke before about Schefter being the Mike Coppinger of NFL reporters. I'm serious. Mike is the guy who breaks the news uh, in that sport. And it really is impressive to see what he what he does and he knows his stuff. So make sure you go follow him if you don't already. If you're into the boxing and also like, you know, he'll he may he may drop some Washington football team uh, thoughts on that feed as well. Uh, we'll, we'll I'm sure we'll have him back here in the future. 
again, many thanks to all, everybody who on Twitter uh, hit me up at Ben Standing with their questions about this team. And even beyond that, just everybody who chats about this team all the time. Everybody is mostly respectful, and I appreciate that for sure. And uh, by the way, if you haven't, uh, if, you, if you didn't catch it, I interviewed team president Jason Wright uh, at the end of last week. You can check out that interview. I also, in the same podcast, talked to my NBA pal, Michael Lee. And part two of, a, of my interview with Michael Lee will be coming up later on. And uh, that's it for now. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you do your podcasting. More to come. Trade deadline Tuesday. Election day is Tuesday. There's a lot going on. Be smart. Be safe. We'll talk soon. Until next time. See ya.